Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is June the 18th, 2021. Uh, goodness gracious, the year is flying by almost halfway through the year, uh, and I'm so glad that you're able to join me this evening. Um, another opportunity to play the game of catch-up to try to figure out what in the world has been going on, and uh, it just seems as though every week... Um, the craziness gets worse. The, the hits just keep on coming, as they used to say on one of my favorite music radio programs back in high school. And the hits, the hits just keep on coming. Um, so let's get started. You know, immigration is finally emerging as the key issue uh, in the minds of the American people. In reality, it's always been a key issue, but it's always been downplayed. Oh, it's about people doing the work Americans won't do, the nannies, the people doing the lawn, the people that wait on the tables, as though Americans were incapable of taking care of themselves. Either we were too lazy or too stupid. And this betrayal picked up speed. Um, and you add what's happening at the southern border with what Biden is doing on other aspects of immigration, add to that. Uh, this notion about um, race theory being taught in the schools, uh, adding to that all the other conflict. I'm working on an article, sneak preview, spoiler alert, Time Magazine, believe it or not, mainstream media, Time Magazine, <clears throat> just did an article this past week, and it discussed how Iran, for the longest time, has been infiltrating into our society sowing the seeds of discontent and strife, pitting Americans against Americans, interfering with our elections, and doing everything possible to keep President Trump from winning re-election. Believe it or not, Time magazine, Iran, uh, trying to undermine the Trump administration, undermining national security, uh, actually um, pretending that they were among the white racists, supposedly, threatening everybody else. Uh, just stop and think about that. The Proud Boys, they were, um, the hackers were pretending they were Proud Boys, issuing some really vile tweets and, and revving everybody up. I, I guess it has to get so bad that nobody can ignore it any longer. Maybe somebody with a brain in his or her head at Time Magazine finally looked at the situation and said, my gosh, what's happening in America is destructive. We're destroying ourselves from within. But maybe not so much from within because it's been with the assistance of some of our um, most significant adversaries, Russia, China, Iran. And then you can throw in some terrorist groups, uh, add to that toxic brew the drug cartels and criminal organizations, <clears throat> and then look at Nancy Pelosi, who can't even call out a member of the squad 
for equating the United States and Israel with the Taliban and Hamas. Cowards where we should have leaders. And it's both parties. You have politicians who have been bought and paid for by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, by the American Immigration Lawyers Association, by various groups who have found a way to monetize open borders. People are dying. Drugs are pouring into the country. Crime is off the rails. Shootings are commonplace. Um, And the beat goes on. Now, it's interesting because Missouri and a couple of other states, and I'm writing about this also, again, sneak preview, you'll be seeing the articles shortly, either at Front Page or at another group I'm now working with, uh, U.S. Incorporated, usinc.org, I-N-C, usinc.org. They were the publishers of the social contract, and over the years I published nearly two dozen articles at the social contract, which was a quarterly journal. They've stopped publishing the quarterly journal, but they do have a blog, and they've asked me to contribute a couple of articles per month to their blog. And and so I've written about how Biden has turned America into a sanctuary country. That is up on that website, but I just submitted another article for them. Hopefully it will be up next week. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Because we need to look at the totality of circumstances, how America is getting hammered from multiple directions simultaneously. It's kind of like a bunch of shotguns going off and pellets are going everywhere. We're being sprayed by lethal pellets, and it's coming at us from every direction. And I think Americans are starting to wake up and say, wait a minute, what's happening doesn't make sense. You want to get the guns off the street, but we defund the police and we attack the police who are in charge with enforcing the laws to get the guns off the street. Well, interesting article now, and I'm working on this for Front Page Magazine. Missouri said, we're going to declare our state. You're going to love this, folks. You're going to love it. A sanctuary, not for illegal aliens, but to protect the Second Amendment. And the Justice Department had a hissy fit. How dare you? We have the right as the federal government. We can preempt local law, and you can't ignore federal law. You can't ignore federal law? Wow. What about sanctuary cities that ignore federal law, that actually obstruct immigration law enforcement? So you you can't cherry pick. Either you agree that we're a nation of law, Either you agree that there's a Constitution and every element of the Constitution has to be upheld and defended and abided by, or you don't. Uh, Here's my point. The Constitution and America's laws are not to be looked at like a menu when you go into the restaurant. You know, you sit down and the waiter or the waitress hands you a menu and you go through the items. Well, let's see. What's the soup of the day? Hmm, I don't think I'll have soup. I don't like that soup. I'll have the salad. Uh, What kind of salad dressing do you have? And then you pick and choose which salad dressing. And and then the main course, gee, I don't think I want fish. I think I'd rather have steak. That's how the politicians have been treating the Constitution and how they've been treating the laws of the United States. What do you mean we have to make certain that aliens are here legally? We we don't like that. So we're going to ignore that. We, We won't have the soup. And we won't have anything to do with immigration laws either. It doesn't work that way. So it's kind of remarkable 
to see this hissy fit coming from the Justice Department because Missouri and other states are saying, you know what? We're going to completely ignore federal gun laws. We don't care about the federal government. We're going to have a sanctuary from gun laws. I'm waiting for them to declare themselves a sanctuary from federal tax laws or something else and and watch the meltdown in Washington. But this is the kind of anarchy that you invite when you give tacit or open approval to sanctuary cities that say we're not going to cooperate with immigration law enforcement. We're not going to cooperate when a a detainer is lodged against a criminal alien. Um, I'm sure you all remember the the infamous Kate Steinle case, 32-year-old young lady taking a stroll along Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, and some dirtbag who was here illegally from Mexico was previously deported five times. Five times. Deportation and reentry are felonies. I think I've told you in the past, I worked with Senator Aldemato back in the 80s to make the reentry of criminal aliens a felony with a 20-year maximum jail sentence. Under President Trump, that law was the most frequently prosecuted felony pursued by the Justice Department. Think about that. So you have somebody who has committed multiple felonies by being deported, coming back, <clears throat> posing a threat to society, and saying, we don't care about the detainer. We don't care if you want to deport this guy. We'd rather put him on the street and protect his rights. What rights? He's here illegally. That's like calling up the police and saying, there's a burglar in my house. And they say, oh, well, maybe he's hungry. Have a nice day. Click. So they let this guy out. He gets his hands on a gun. How he got his hands on the gun is in dispute. He pulled the trigger, gun fires, and Kate Steinle is murdered, killed, dies in her father's arms. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that man and that family is going through, losing a, a wonderful daughter, 32 years old. But, of course, the media got all over it because she was very pretty. That's it. Beautiful girl. Oh, wow. If she wasn't so pretty, maybe they wouldn't have covered it. This is what passes for the news. It's circus act. Because this kind of crime is playing out again and again and again and again and again and again, day in, day out, across the entire United States of America. I testified at the murder trial of a Panamanian drug dealer, dirtbag, who had a green card and lost it because of multiple convictions for narcotics offenses and violent crime, including firearm offenses. I physically put this piece of work on an airplane and waved goodbye. He came back. This was the late 80s. The New York City Police Department, even back then, was not supposed to let immigration know if they encountered an illegal alien. That's the craziness of what went on and what goes on. So twice this guy... Ronaldo Rayside gets arrested by the New York City Police Department for various crimes. Both times the arrest records reflected that he resisted arrest and fought with the cops. Obviously a fine, upstanding guy. And finally, he's encountered by a 24-year-old cop by the name of uh, uh, Bob Machati, Robert Machati, 24 years old. His wife is pregnant, pulls this guy over for a motor vehicle infraction. He fights with Machati, grabs the officer's gun, Gun goes off. Officer Machete dies on a street corner in Brooklyn. I testified at the murder trial. 
because the issue was proving motivation. Well, of course he was motivated because he knew that by coming back after we deported him, he was looking at years in jail and didn't want to be put in jail. I testified at that murder trial. I saw his family there. It was a horror show. And years later, 20 years later, I happened to be in my local supermarket. It started to snow. And I see this young lady open up a line in, in the supermarket, so I zip into the into her lane. I was the first one there because I wanted to get home before the roads turned to ice. I noticed she's wearing a miniature badge, what we call the courtesy shield. It turned out that she was the daughter that Robert Bashadi never got to hold in his arms, his daughter. It haunts me to this day. These aren't victimless crimes. So... It's okay to have sanctuary cities for immigration laws that turn criminals, dirtbags, and potentially terrorists loose on our streets. But the Justice Department says, you better follow our gun laws because we're trying to protect people. I'd like to tell this jackass at the Justice Department, this assistant, deputy assistant, whatever his highly esteemed title is, (laughs) if you want to protect people, you don't turn criminals loose. You don't ignore the immigration laws that were identified by the 9-11 Commission as a key issue for national security. And, in fact, they did a little bit of digging uh, in support of my article today. And, and, and the funny thing was I came up with a, uh, a Congressional Research Service report. CRS, the Congressional Research Service, does the legwork for members of Congress when they're trying to determine what kind of legislation should be enacted or that sort of thing. So they go out there and do the the research, the administrative research, to look for background information and that kind of thing. So on December 21st, 2004, the Congressional, uh, the CRS Congressional Research Service, reported to Congress, <clears throat> and here's the, the title of the report: 9/11 Commission Legislative Action Concerning U.S. Immigration Law Policy and the 108th Congress. And what was amazing about it is it went into detail. Uh, well, let me just start reading the introduction, and I have part of the intro or part of the summary in the article that I, I just submitted <coughs> for um, um, Front Page magazine. But, but I, I think you'll find this interesting, because hopefully Front Page will be running this within the next week. It's the kind of thing that I want you to share with your friends and neighbors. When you start to talk about immigration and their eyes start to roll, oh, you're just a xenophobe. No, I'm just an American who's tired of seeing Americans die. I'm just an American who doesn't want to have to live through another terror attack as we are approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11. God only knows that might be a particularly dangerous day because to terrorists, symbolism is everything. Imagine if, God forbid, they did something terrible on the 20th anniversary. And the fact that it's the 20th anniversary means that we have a generation of American voters who were actually born after the attacks of 9-11, so they have no knowledge about it. It's not burned in their hearts and souls the way it is for me and so many other Americans who lived through that terrible day. But here's how the summary begins. Reforming the enforcement of immigration law is a key component of the recommendations made. Now, this isn't comprehensive immigration reform. Let's start out with that clearly understood. Reforming the enforcement of immigration law is a key component of the recommendations made by the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States, also known as the 9-11 Commission. 
The 19 hijackers responsible for the 9-11 attacks were foreign nationals, many of whom were able to obtain visas to enter the United States through the use of forged documents. Incomplete intelligence and screening enabled many of the hijackers to enter the United States, despite flaws in their entry documents or suspicions regarding their past associations. According to the commission, up to 15 of the hijackers could have been intercepted or deported through more diligent enforcement of immigration law. That's how it begins. So right off the bat, the 9-11 Commission said what? Immigration is the issue. Now, stop right there and think about what's going on on the Mexican border. Think what might be going on on the Canadian border, because no one's talking about that. Think who might be coming into the United States through seaports, going away on ships, or by having small ships meet bigger ships outside the continental limit in international waters and bring people to the United States along our coastline. It does happen. It does happen. You may have seen it in movies. I can tell you as a former INS agent, and I was a Marine Intelligence Officer for the New York District Office for a number of years, that sort of thing does happen. And how many terrorists do you need to create chaos? Think what 19 hijackers did on 9-11. So the key issue is that we can't secure the entire border of the United States because the border of the United States is much more than the 2,000-mile stretch of the Mexican border, which is a a tough enough proposition. We have 95,000 miles of coastline. We have more than 5,000 miles of border between the United States and Canada. And then we have international airports where every year at least a half million people enter the United States and disappear. Now, there have been studies done about all this, and I want you to understand just how dangerous the sanctuary policies of the Biden administration are. In fact, I did an interview for Newsmax TV and another television station on on these issues. So once people get to the interior of the United States and Biden is facilitating it, you know, How many people were apprehended this last month? Well, a hundred and something thousand. Everyone gets excited. Well, they were arrested. Yes, but they were mostly released. And where were they released? To the interior of the United States. So if you're sitting in your house in Pennsylvania, or you're sitting in your house in Illinois, don't think, oh, I'm not one of those people living in in California or New Mexico or Texas, Arizona. I, I, I don't have anything to worry about. I'm a 1,000 miles from the border. Yeah, they're in your town, I promise you. We have a huge Central American population in New York City. In fact, El Chapo Guzman, arguably the most prolific and violent Mexican cartel leader, drug cartel, set up shop here in New York City and was put on trial in the Eastern District of New York just about a mile or two down the road from Chuck Schumer's house. Because New York, as a sanctuary city with access to transportation, became a hub for the Mexican cartels. And how many miles is New York City from the Mexican border? This is a crisis for the entire country. A crisis for the entire country. And when people come in at the airport and disappear, that's an issue. Many of the terrorists ended through international airports. Now, what's interesting, and I wish Donald Trump had done this. He was a terrible communicator. Um, You know, I had issues with Trump. His ideas were good, but execution, maybe not as good as I'd like. And his ability to bring Americans along, this should have been a cakewalk. But it wasn't. 
let me give you an example. You may remember that shortly after taking office, President Trump said that he was not going to allow aliens from six or seven countries to enter the United States because there was no way to properly screen them. Countries like Syria and Lebanon, and I don't have the list in front of me, but you get the point. These were countries in the Middle East that were associated with terrorism, and for one reason or another, we were unable to properly screen the people who came from those countries. Immediately, all the networks, and, and frankly, it included Fox News, said Muslim-majority countries, as though that was the issue. And I've always made the point that if the goal was to keep people out who were from Muslim-majority countries, then the president was an abysmal failure because he left out Indonesia, Pakistan, and India. <clears throat> Those are the three most populous Muslim-majority countries. They weren't on the list. So it wasn't about religion. <clears throat> but that, pardon me, but that's how the media portrayed it. Just like Breitbart did an article last week, great article, but they talked about the so-called pro-immigrant groups like the ACLU. And not pro-immigrant. Defend the right of illegal aliens to enter and remain in the United States. That's not pro-immigrant. It's immigration anarchy. But the language is screwed up. In some cases, it's a lack of understanding by the reporters. In other cases, well, you can make your own decisions. But if you're pro-immigrant, then you want strong immigration law enforcement. Because we admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year. And the most likely victim of the transnational criminals, and it's not just from Latin America, so let's be clear about that. I hated when Donald Trump with a swagger said, there's a lot of bad hombres out there. I almost had a meltdown. I got an award from the government of Japan for helping them apprehend a woman who was a citizen of Japan involved with smuggling narcotics from the United States into Japan. Last time I checked, Japan was not in Latin America, and people from Japan are not Latinos. This isn't about Latinos and bad hombres. <clears throat> the language is so important. We think with words, therefore words are at the foundation of our ability to understand the issues. <clears throat> There's certainly a lot of bad criminals out there. <clears throat> Bear with me. I'm just going to grab a sip of water here. There's certainly a lot of bad actors out there. There's criminals and terrorists and fugitives from justice and child molesters and rapists and so forth. That's who we should be keeping out of the country to protect their victims. And when criminal aliens enter the United States, and I don't care if they're coming from England or Japan or France or Germany or Colombia or Bolivia <clears throat> or Israel or England or Italy, guess what? They live and work within the ethnic immigrant community that most resembles who they are. Number one, they're comfortable there. They speak the language. They're familiar with the customs, the food. They want to meet the women. It's a lot easier if, if you can speak the language. And it's also like looking for a needle in a haystack because everyone looks just like you and you're, on the, and you're hiding out. You don't want to be the only white guy in a black neighborhood or the only black guy in a white neighborhood or the only Asian in a black neighborhood. You, you get the point I'm making. So who's at greatest risk when we don't enforce the immigration laws? The immigrants, the people who came here, followed the law, tried to get away from the poverty and the corruption um, and the crime and violence of their native countries, and they wake up and find out 
that the dirtbags that they were running from when they came to America now live next door to them and across the street from them. How is that pro-immigrant? So when I read this Breitbart article, I got upset. Pro-immigrant ACLU or whatever group they were taught, it's not pro-immigrant. They're pro-anarchy. They're pro-anarchy. And when people come legally, they do so so they have a bright future. How much of a bright future do you have when we bring in more foreign workers than the number of new jobs we're creating every year? How does that help the immigrants or the American citizens, for that matter? But no one's talking about it, and Donald Trump needed to be clear about it. But when Donald Trump said, we're going to keep people out of the country who come from those six or seven countries, there was about 200 people who came to America, and when they got to a port of entry, whether it was JFK or whatever international airport, the inspectors told them they were not going to be admitted. Then the ACLU and a bunch of other groups came out with the rental mobs and carried on. Oh, my God, the president is a xenophobe. He hates Muslims. He hates immigrants. And on and on. <clears throat> what President Trump needed to do was to go to his um, staff and have them pull up statistics. The last year that Barack Obama was in office, guess how many aliens were denied entry at ports of entry <clears throat> because they were determined to be inadmissible? Over 200 not 200, but 200,000. I believe the number was close to 205,000. With Donald Trump in the Oval Office, the number went up <clears throat> in the final two years to over 250,000 aliens were determined by the inspectors at ports of entry. They said, we're not admitting you. You're not admissible. You fall into a category of aliens who are to be excluded. But what the other side did, and they're very shrewd and they're very crafty, and they tend to be very smart about it. Oh, my God, these people had visas, and for no reason they were told you can't come in. What the president needed to tell the American people, and not with that Twitter account, but maybe in a face-to-face uh, sitting in the Oval Office looking into a TV camera, is to say, listen, a visa does not guarantee entry into the United States. All that a visa does is get the alien into the inspector's booth but it's the inspector, the Customs and Border Protection inspector. When I was there, it was the immigration inspector. And I'm very familiar with the job. I did it for four years at JFK Airport here in New York City. The inspector has the authority to admit the alien or deny admission. Not State Department. They issue the visa, but it's that inspector at the port of entry who has that admission stamp in his or her hand and has the lawful authority to make the admission or not admit the alien, and then the alien has a choice. If they're coming under the visa waiver program, they have to go home. If they're coming with a visa, they have the right to ask for a hearing before an immigration judge, an exclusion hearing. So understand that because an alien has a passport with a visa, it is not a guarantee of going to be admitted into the United States. That's what the president needed to explain to the American people. And he needed to push back forcefully against this notion that these were Muslim-majority countries. By the way, Venezuela is now on the list of countries of uh, aliens who should not have been admitted. Of course, I'm sure that Biden has taken that down because Venezuela has a long-term, long-standing, entirely cooperative arrangement with the government of Iran. And in fact, 
Caracas, Venezuela was the port of entry into Latin America for lots of Iranian Quds forces. They're shock troops. Iran has a notorious reputation for providing uh, Venezuelan passports to people who are not Venezuelan. This is a clear threat to us and our national security and our public safety. So President Trump needed to educate the American people in a way where they got the point and they would have been standing, I'm sure, right behind him. <clears throat> but he blew it. Just as he blew it when he debated Joe Biden and asked him the question, hey, Joe, can you say law enforcement? Maybe the better question would have been, hey, Joe, have you read the 9-11 Commission report? Because when you consider what I just read to you from the Congressional Research Service that was prepared for Congress, immigration was the issue. We need to reconsider how we issue visas and how we do all these other things. And, in fact, that summary goes on and says this. This is another important statement. And, again, it will be in the article that I'm hopeful front page will be running next week. The 9-11 Commission's immigration-related recommendations focus primarily on targeting terrorist travel through an intelligence and security strategy based on reliable identification systems and effective integrated <clears throat> information sharing. As Congress has considered these recommendations, however, possible legislative responses have broadened <clears throat> to include significant and possibly far-reaching changes to the substantive law governing immigration and how that law is enforced both at the border and in the interior of the United States. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Joe Biden has told the ICE agents, Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents, that they may not arrest any illegal alien unless there is a, an outstanding warrant of removal. The alien's been ordered deported, and that's not enough. Additionally, the alien, in addition to that warrant, which should be more than enough, in fact, Immigration agents are empowered to make arrests of suspected illegal aliens without a warrant. That's gone. Under the executive orders of the Biden administration, no alien is to be arrested without a warrant unless that agent in the street goes up the chain of command, and I believe all the way to Washington, to get authorization to make a single arrest of an alien for whom there's no warrant. You encounter him, and something is so bad, that you have to go through the chain of command, and God help you if you don't, because they said that there will be penalties for any agent who dares to make an arrest without a warrant and not following the guidelines that will be strictly enforced against every employee of ICE. Big cases, big problems, little cases, little problems, no cases, no problems. Any ICE agent who seeks to make a warrantless arrest is committing professional suicide. I just told you that... According to the 9-11 Commission, interior enforcement was a critical factor. There is no interior enforcement. There is no interior enforcement. So the alien in question has to have a warrant ordering his removal and a lengthy rap sheet showing that he or she has committed a whole bunch of terrible, heinous, violent crimes or else. So even if you have a warrant and want to make an arrest, that could get you into hot water if you can't justify it by saying, well, not only was the guy deported 16 times and came back, but he robbed three banks, raped four children, and tried to behead a pregnant woman. Oh, all right, I guess you could arrest him. But if he's with anybody else, leave them alone, even if they might be accomplices, because if you can't prove they're accomplices, you're violating the regulation, and we're going to call you in and maybe suspend or fire you. This is a fantasy 
ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the drug cartels, fugitives from around the world. Come one, come all, and nothing will happen to you. America is open for business. Wow. Wow. But that's okay with the Justice Department. They're super happy because the only threat we face, according to them, are white supremacists. Doesn't rattle your cage, check for a heartbeat and a pulse. So, so let me be clear. I have a problem with any extremist. I don't care what flavor extremist you are. If you believe that violence is an appropriate tool to accomplish your objectives, you are a threat to everybody. And I don't care if I agree or disagree with what you would like to see happen. If you believe that violence is a legitimate way to affect change, by definition, you're a terrorist, and you are a threat, and you need to face consequences. But the administration is being very specific, white supremacists. If this isn't an attack on a race, if this isn't an act of overt racism, I don't know what is. It's very disturbing. It disturbs me because I know the stories about how the Holocaust started. My grandmother was killed in Poland because we're Jews. My mother was able to escape, thankfully. I wouldn't be here otherwise. My children wouldn't be here. My grandchildren wouldn't be here. Thankfully, my mom got out at the age of 13, supported herself, lived by herself in a rooming house at the age of 13 and worked in a sweatshop making umbrellas at $3 a week. But she came legally. She was admitted into the United States. If she couldn't get in, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing the show. You would never have heard my name because I would never have been born. But the Holocaust started when Jews and other minorities were vilified by the Nazi regime. When a country vilifies members of its own society, look out, bad things can happen. Bad things are likely to happen. This is the stuff that keeps me awake at night. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. My first wife died over 30 years ago. She had cancer. It was a nightmare. Brilliant woman. She was amazing. And I was having dinner at her house one day with her mother and her father. Her father's family was decimated in the Holocaust. He himself managed to get away from the Nazis. He spent the war hiding in holes in the ground in the Polish forest for the most part. If you could imagine that kind of an existence. Her mother was not so lucky. She was caught up by the Nazis and put into a concentration camp. And I said to her, how did that happen? How in the world did this happen? And she got very quiet and she said to me, it happened because everyone kept saying it can't get worse. So when I hear our government singling out a particular race, not saying we're going to go after bad guys. That's fine, go after bad guys. But to declare white supremacists as the number one threat and then teach critical race theory and talk about white privilege, it sounds reminiscent of the way the Nazis referred to the Jews. And it alarms me, to be honest with you. I never could have imagined hearing this kind of garbage, dangerous garbage, in the United States of America. And then we have Antifa, the anti-fascists. You know who the real anti-fascists are, folks? We just commemorated D-Day. It was the U.S. military and our allies. Think of how many tens of thousands of young men and women 
died fighting the Nazis. Those were the anti-fascists. But most of these kids who were out there rioting and carrying on and looking for an excuse for their anti-societal conduct probably are clueless because they probably never even learned about D-Day. They probably never learned about the Holocaust. The American people and the American students of today are being given what we refer to in government as the mushroom treatment. <clears throat> Keep them in the dark and feed them a lot of manure. So critical race theory vilifies whites, that the white kids are the enemy, that the white kids are responsible for all that's wrong in our society. Do we, do we lock up the great-grandchildren or the grandchildren of a murderer? Your grandfather committed a murder. You're going to jail. Well, I, I didn't even know my grandfather. Too bad. He committed a murder. We're going to hold you responsible. And, and many Americans who are white, their families weren't even here when there was slavery or, or, or segregation or anything else. You know, think about this. But we're going to vilify one race and tell another race that their suffering is the result of, of, of whites. Wow. That's pretty much how the Holocaust started in Germany. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. We need to have the courage to speak out and say, what are you talking about? How do you come off making statements like that? My mother had lots of white privilege, by the way. I mean, imagine her situation, 13 years old, by herself, in a rooming house, forced to leave her mother behind in Poland. I remember my mother having nightmares in the middle of the night, crying and screaming that I'd run into the room, especially after my dad died. And she was dying of cancer at that point. I lost her when I was 21. I've been on my own since I was 21. Uh, and I was privileged to be the son of two amazing parents, and I'm privileged to be an American citizen. This has nothing to do with the color of my skin. But my mother would be in a panic. And I asked her what was going on, and she would tell me that she was having a nightmare about being at the train station, hearing the train whistle, and knowing that in a minute or two the train was going to leave and she would never see her mother again, 13 years old. And she came here and supported herself by working in a sweatshop at the age of 13. White privilege. If this doesn't fry your brain, I don't know what does. This is a dangerous lie that's being taught to American children to sow dissent. And that was what Time Magazine talked about, that you've got the, the Iranians hacking into computers, sowing dissent, pitting Americans against Americans. And by the way, they even talked about how they exploited the death of George Floyd the heightened racial tensions in the United States. Time Magazine, it was a solid piece of journalism. I almost fell out of my chair reading it. You should read it. I'll be doing a piece about it, and as I do with all my articles, I will include a link to the Time Magazine article. But they did not mince words, and they came out swinging and said, this is what's going on. Wow. This should be obvious to everybody. This is a fantasy that our enemies have. We're going to bring America to its knees by turning American against American. We don't even have to go in there. We'll let them kill each other. 
and look at the blood flowing on city streets across America because of crazy policies by prosecutors, judges. We're going to turn violent, vicious criminals loose on the streets. We're going to get the guns off the street, but we're not going to get the criminals off the street. And, of course, criminals are going to abide by the law. We're just going to pass laws, and the criminals will certainly follow the law, won't they? I don't even know where to go with all this. You try to process what is happening, and it leaves you with your head spinning like a top. The all clear hasn't sounded. The threat of terrorism is very real. And already we're seeing in Afghanistan that as we're pulling out, the Taliban is expanding. expanding. Other terrorist groups are are rising up. This is not going to end well. But we're going to leave Americans unarmed to fend for themselves with, what, plastic spoons? I mean, just stop and think about what is happening in America. We as Americans need to stand up. And and don't make the mistake of saying, well, if so-and-so is a Democrat, he's bad, and if so-and-so is a Republican, he must be good. Both parties are responsible for this push for globalism. Ronald Reagan gave us the amnesty of 86. Ronald Reagan gave us the ill-conceived and ill-advised visa waiver program, um, and, and it's remarkable. He also gave us the diversity visa that so many people have spoken out against. It started with Reagan and was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush. So when people say to me, Mr. Cutler, why are you a Democrat? My answer is, why are you a Republican? Do you think either party gives a rat's ass about you? Not hardly. Senator Feinstein, in fact, at a hearing held by the Senate Judiciary Committee back in 1998, February 24th, 98, two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing at the Trade Center in 93 that killed six, injured over 1,000, created a half billion in damage, almost toppled the tower. It could have resulted in 100,000, 200,000 fatalities. We have no idea. It would have been a catastrophe unparalleled probably in human history. Because the buildings would have just collapsed into each other like falling dominoes. The seawall that keeps the Hudson River out of low Manhattan would have been breached. And lower Manhattan would have been underwater. It would have been even lower. It's absolutely remarkable. And we all knew that it was immigration that got us to that point. But Because if you look at that hearing that was held five, five years after that bombing, you have Senator Feinstein saying, you know, maybe this visa waiver pilot program needs to be reconsidered. Of course it needed to be reconsidered. It never should have been done. It was done to placate the United States Chamber of Commerce. I call it the Chamber of Horrors. And then she said, we shouldn't be giving visas, perhaps, to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Well, that's right. And back then, that was easy. But now, in the 20-odd years since then, 25 years, whatever, 24 years, um, many terrorists have moved from the Middle East to to countries in, in Europe, so they participate in the visa waiver program. And their children were born in Western Europe. Then she said we certainly shouldn't be giving training in chemistry and physics and biology to people who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Well, again, the same problem. And she said, you know, we're educating the people who want to kill us. We're teaching them how to make weapons of mass destruction. That was Diane Feinstein. And then it turned out that her driver was a spy working for China. Insanity. Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education for Donald Trump, 
uncover the fact that there was at least $8 billion, $8 billion with a B. I'm going to sound like Carl Sagan, billions of stars. Well, these are billions of dollars that were given to American universities and schools by some of America's best friends, you know, China, Iran, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. Why? Or gutter, as it's sometimes pronounced. Why? Well, <laughs> think about it. You put that kind of money into a university, you get to get your students into that school, you get to make decisions about the curriculum, you get to make decisions about faculty, the Confucius schools, okay? That investigation, I'm sure, has been shut down. That's why the issue about Hunter Biden and Chinese money and so forth was so significant, and the media blocked the reports about that until after the election. How do you spell compromised? When I had to have my security clearance renewed every few years, I, I used to say it was the administrative equivalent of going to a proctologist. Forgive the vulgarity. And one of the first questions that I was asked was, have you had any interaction with other governments? If so, what kind of interaction? It was the same kind of question that Jeff Sessions got, that uh, General Flynn got. It was a standard question. And I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police and other law enforcement agencies because of my work at the Drug Task Force. As I've mentioned on other programs, my first fraud investigation as a brand-new agent back in 1976 caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of a refinery. From that day forward, any time I needed help, they gave it to us. And when they had fugitives, wanted for crimes in Israel, for example, one individual who killed a Palestinian prostitute, they would contact me and my partner and I would saddle up, go out and make the arrest, and send that person home to stand trial in Israel. And we had a great working relationship because frequently I would say, look, you want this guy back in Israel? Give us a plane ticket and have your police accompany this guy so we don't have to spend money on sending agents overseas and, and worry about the logistics. So almost every time that I had an Israeli fugitive, the Israelis provided a ticket on El Al Airlines. We handed him over at the, on the tarmac. They put him on the airplane in the company of Israeli police officers, and away they went. And, and in that case, by the way, the guy was found guilty of murder. Um, I, I don't remember the exact jail sentence, but it was many years behind bars because of our cooperation. But, but I had to detail that when I had my security clearance re renewed because I was working with a foreign government. Everything you do is, is scrutinized. Are, are you being compromised? Have you been compromised? Well, in those situations, everything is fine because we were working for a common goal. It was all documented because you're accountable. But here you had the argument, the, the case about Hunter Biden, which is still under investigation about money and influence and all this other business. That leaves you open to blackmail and compromise. It is critical. And one of the interviews that I did for Newsmax, I think this is my fourth or fifth interview for Newsmax within the past month. I, I look forward to, to doing this regularly with them. I'm happy to be able to do it. Uh, but, but the issue is that the governor of Texas, Abbott, is now looking for people to provide $250 million so they could finish the wall that Trump started. And I was asked, well, that'll solve the problem. And I said, no, it won't solve the problem. A border wall is a very important element in a unified immigration 
system. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we need the border wall. That is not a question. That's not an argument. That's not a, gee whiz, let me do a study and get back to you in three years. No, a border wall is helpful. Of course, you hear these idiotic arguments, and they do this because the average American doesn't think. You give them a slogan, they follow the slogan. Do you many people have said to me, I heard them say you can't arrest 11 million. It's been 11 million for the last 20 years. It's probably 30 million by now. If you can't arrest 11 million, you may as well give them lawful status so you know who's here. What does that mean? First of all, it's not 11, it's 30, maybe more. Second of all, what do you mean you'll know who's here? You're going to give lawful status to people. There is no way to interview 11 million. There's absolutely no way to interview 11 million. Well, if you can't interview them, you certainly can't do field investigations. So this is going to be a paper chase. And I spent the years in adjudications offices, so I'll let you in on another little dirty secret. If you are told, as Biden is telling his people, and George W. Bush did the same thing, clear up the backlog, get rid of the red tape, and everybody claps and says, oh, thank God they're cutting the red tape. Oh, that's great. That's not great. It takes minutes to approve an application, but it can take days to deny an application. Because when you approve an application, nobody challenges you. Nobody files an appeal. You stamp it approved, you staple this paper onto that paper, you click this and you push that, and you put the envelope in the mail, and away it goes, and the alien is happy, and he's not going to bring a lawyer in and say, why did you deny my application? Because we approved it. So he's happy. When you deny an application, you have to have an investigation. Where do you get the agents for that? You need to have articulable facts, and you need to write a formal denial. Then that denial has to be checked for legal sufficiency by the attorneys working for the immigration authorities. And then if they're happy with it, you file it, and then they're going to file an appeal, and you're going to wind up in court. So that slows down the system. This is Lucy at the Bonbon factory on steroids, for those of you who used to watch I Love Lucy. So if you want to clear up the backlog, approve, 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 approve. Don't you dare not approve. Immigration fraud was determined by the 9-11 Commission to be the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. Keep approving. Keep admitting them. Keep approving them. We're setting ourselves up for a catastrophe. It's kind of like the, the, the woman is tied to the railroad road tracks. You don't see the train, but you hear the whistle, and off in the distance you see the puffs of smoke from the smokestack on top of the train, and the track is, is, is rattling and shaking. train's not here yet, but you know it's coming. We're admitting 100,000 people. We have no idea who they are every month, and then turning them loose into the interior. If out of the hundreds of thousands by now, maybe it's a million, 1% are bad people. How many people are we looking at? Certainly more than the 19 hijackers who attacked us on 9-11. This is an act of national suicide. I don't know any other way of describing it. And nobody is willing to make the connection between the 9-11 commission and what Biden is doing with immigration, the border, and and, and ordering ICE agents to stand down from within the interior. (laughs) Kamala Harris won't even go to the border. And even there, finally, the media started to press her, and she's giving them her usual BS answers with the hyena laugh. But it doesn't matter, because every day we're being inundated. 
Now, I wrote an article for uh, U.S. Inc., U.S. Incorporated. I'm hopeful they'll publish next week because I spotted something that was interesting. Because of climate change, and, and we can have that conversation too, but because of climate change, America is going to be experiencing worsening drought conditions on the west half of the United States. That's the prognostication by the environmentalists and, and the meteorologists. We're in for tough times with a shortage of water. Okay, and what are we doing? Flooding America, not with water, but people. Holy smoke. So I, I, I went and did some research, and it's interesting. The average person consumes 82 gallons of water each and every day. Bring in 100,000 people, start doing the math. Now, everyone who's here needs water. It's estimated that each person in the United States needs an acre of farmland to grow the food that he or she needs to eat. Farmland needs to be watered. When you see the amount of water you need to water an acre of land, it will freak you out. <clears throat> so when people say, this is a big country, we have plenty of room. Sure. But people aren't firewood. People need water and food and sewerage and electricity and health care and transportation, education. We are overwhelming our country intentionally <clears throat> it's not going to end well even if there were no criminals even if there were no terrorists how do we deal with an onslaught of 100 million because if we legalize let's say 25 million and on average they each bring in <clears throat> four children that's 100 million people maybe they'll bring in six people now we're up to 150 million and i saw somebody comment to one of my articles about that and said Mexico doesn't have that many people. They don't have 100 million children. No, they don't. And neither does El Salvador or Guatemala. You're right. But the people who are coming here aren't only coming from Latin America. They're coming from Asia. They're coming from Africa. They're coming from countries that sponsor terrorism. We have no idea who's coming here, but we are moving them to the interior of the United States of America. The Border Patrol used to surveil the bus terminals and train stations and airports to look for illegal aliens that evaded them on the border as they head to the rest of the country. I spent several years with the anti-smuggling unit in New York City. I used to get up at 6 o'clock. Actually, I was out the door at 6 or at the airport at 6, 6.30, because we used to surveil what we used to call the red-eye flights, the flights coming in from the West Coast to New York at LaGuardia Airport and at Kennedy Airport, because these people would get on the airplane fresh from the border and head for New York. Incredibly, sometimes, you might not believe it, but if you looked at their feet, their boots still had the mud because they had waded across the Rio Grande, and they were wearing the same clothing. We had safe houses, stash houses for illegal aliens in New York City. It's not just the Mexican border. What we're looking at is a human tsunami, because now, instead of surveilling the bus terminals, the Border Patrol is bringing these illegal aliens <clears throat> that, that say the magic word, political asylum, and they're bringing them to the bus terminals and sending them on their way so they can head to towns and cities from coast to coast and border to border. Basically, we've turned the Border Patrol into the final arm of the human trafficking organizations that bring these people here. 
I don't know what more I can tell you that will help keep you awake tonight. But I remember when I met Jim Sensenbrenner, and I had testified for him a number of times. Um, I understand that he, he left Congress. He retired. I hope he's enjoying his retirement. He's a real good guy. But I remember during one of my early meetings with Jim Sensenbrenner when he was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, I said to Mr. Chairman, if I can't sleep at night, sure as hell, I don't want you sleeping at night. I'm sorry if I interfered with your night's sleep tonight, folks, but I'm doing it with a purpose, not because I'm sadistic or mean. I'll leave that to the politician dirtbags. I'm doing it because I want you to understand the full magnitude of the threat that we're facing at the hands of this administration that is violating federal law. If you want to talk about sanctuary on gun laws, well, how about sanctuary on immigration laws that were designed to protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. But on top of that, they're violating the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. So when Nancy Pelosi says we need a 9-11-style commission to find out what happened January 6, 2021 at the Capitol, it's high time someone asked Nancy, hey, Nancy, have you read the 9-11 Commission report? How does that square with what the, what the Biden administration is doing? Now, that is an interesting question. And it's a question that perhaps you ought to ask your neighbors and your friends and your family members when you have that barbecue next weekend and you're sitting around and having a discussion about the Mexican border. Please remember, America doesn't have four border states, but 50 border states. And what happens on the border, just like what happens in Vegas, doesn't stay in Vegas, at least not for long. It impacts all of the United States of America and poses a threat to the safety and well-being of all Americans. And what I'm telling you is not born of xenophobia or racism. It's born of hard, cold facts. And if you don't believe it, read the 9-11 Commission report. Read that Congressional Research Service report. It's available to the public, and it's the right price. It's free. So is this program, free. And I do it every week with one purpose in mind, having lived through 9-11, having spent 30 years of my life enforcing immigration laws and arresting some really bad people. My last significant arrest was of a Mariel Cuban who had committed the murder of a black young man in Chicago and then fled to New York. Uh, I was credited with his capture and with his prosecution. I testified at his trial. He was sentenced to life without parole. So I got to see this beast up close and in person. And I want you to benefit from my life experiences and my professional experiences so we can make the proper demands of the politicians who allege to represent us. I'm tired of hearing about reimagining law enforcement and policing. It's time we reimagined politics and got the politicians to do what they were supposed to do, represent us for once and for all. I thank you so much for listening. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Be well.